Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. We've been in this series called Blueprint. God gives us a blueprint. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Today, we're going to talk about the doctrine of baptisms and a little bit of the laying on of hands. I felt this stirring all summer long that our our church, he wanted us to go back to these elementary things. I felt this stirring that there's so many things that we tried to move on and jump into, and it wasn't wrong, it wasn't bad, but we still need a better understanding a thorough understanding of the elementary things. And so we're going to talk about the elementary principles today. Today we talk about the doctrine of baptisms, plural, and of laying on of hands. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your background is. If you have a faith background, if you don't, it doesn't matter. We're all here to learn. We're all here to learn from God's Word. And so I don't care if you've been a believer your whole life or if you're brand new and you're just checking this out. You're here for a reason today. God God brought you here to hear exactly this word that he's got for you today. His word is living and active and there's something here today that he wants you to hear. And so for me, as I was going through this, I'd read this passage time and time again and for some reason it had never clicked to me that baptisms was plural. I only knew of one baptism, and it was the baptism that I received when I was a child, and it was in the church that I grew up in, and they just said, hey, you repent, you get baptized, and then that's kind of it. Like, you're just good. It was salvation insurance. And I wanted that, because I was a bad kid. I wanted to know, like, all right, I want my get out of hell, you know, jail free card, all right? I want that. But it didn't change the way I lived, I kept doing everything I wanted to do, but in the back of my mind, I was just like, it's okay. I got a free pass. And, and there is some truth to that. It, it is a free pass. It is grace that is bestowed upon us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But that's an oversimplification, and we miss the beauty of the cross when we just use the cross for our salvation, but then we say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're my Savior, but you're not my Lord. I heard this recently. If you make Jesus your Savior, it will change your eternity. It will. You you go from hell to heaven just like that when you make him your Savior. But upon your confession of faith, we, we say he's your Lord and Savior. If you'll make him your Lord, it will change your life. Some of you, you don't like the life you're living right now. So you're here and you're frustrated and you're mad and you're angry and you're upset. And a little bit of it is you're really pointing at God. And you're kind of looking for some answers. Some of you, you're here today because you're kind of mad at God about where he's got you in life, how things are going, whether it's your health, your wealth, I don't know what it is, your relationships. And you're stirred up and you're angry and you're agitated towards him. And you're saying, I'm a good person. I've done all these things. I, you know, I deserve this. And that's why you're here today. You're kind of mad and you're frustrated. And you're like, God, you better give me some answers today. But let me tell you something. You made him your Savior, but you never made him your Lord. When you make him your Lord, it changes your life. It changes every decision you make. It changes how you worship. 
It changes how you open up his word to receive from him. It changes how you live every day. It changes your priorities. It changes your finances. Because when you make him Lord, you value each and everything that it says in his word because you know his word, it's complete. That's what Jesus did. He, he completed it. He fulfilled it. And it, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so now it's not a burden to live out his word. No, no, no. It's a blessing to live out his word. When you make him Lord, it will change your life. So if you're frustrated, I would just tell you today, you need to have a moment with him and say, you probably need to have a moment of repentance. Because there's probably a part of you that you thought, oh, you know, I'm mad at God. He needs to apologize to me. No, no, no. This is a moment for you to repent, to have your mind changed, to have your mind transformed, to realize, oh, I've made you my Savior, but I haven't made you Lord. I haven't listened to you in this area of this relationship over here. I'm living outside of the covenant of marriage, and I'm doing what I want to do in these relationships, and I haven't followed your design for relationship and for marriage. Or I'm living outside of the design in your word for my finances. I'm spending beyond my means, and I'm not even giving you my first tenth. I'm not even giving you my first one percent because I don't trust you with anything some of you, you want more from him. You want, you want more responsibility. You want more opportunity. You want to be trusted with more in this world. How can he trust you with more when he can't even trust you with what he's given you? That's what the tithe is. The tithe is the simplest test for will you trust him as Lord and provider in your life. Some of you, you're asking him for increase and he's saying, you haven't even done with the little I've given you. You haven't even given me the first. You've given me the leftovers. Nobody wants to hear about finances at church. I don't care. Because he's Lord and he will change your life. He will transform your life. I, I'm, I'm telling you this. It's changed my life and my wife's life. We've seen provision come in ways that we never thought would come. We, we've seen debt relief come in our lives and, and now we live in a way where we are debt free and there's freedom in that. And guess what? He has increased us. And what are we able to do? Are we able to spend more on ourselves? No, no, no. We're able to pour more into the kingdom. We're, we're able to give generously into his kingdom. Will you make him Lord of your life? John 3, verse 1. We started here a couple weeks ago. I told you, we'd get back here again. We didn't quite make it through John 3 last time. John 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. There were signs that accompanied the rabbi's teaching. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. I, I, I knew I, I had received that salvation moment. I, I knew I, I'd given my life, I'd stepped into a, a moment of obedience when I was baptized in the water.
But you need to be born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Spiritual life. That's what the Holy Spirit gives birth to. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Here's the gospel. Some of you, some of you you're here today and you just need to believe again. You, maybe for the first time, you just need to put your faith in him. And say, yeah, he, he's the son of God. There's no doubt. I want him as Lord and Savior in my life. And the judgment, verse 19, is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. This is another convicting thing for us. Did you hear what he said? God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. People living in the dark, they've seen the light. They know the light. They've heard about the light. But they just like what's going on in the dark. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. There's some... In this season, there's going to be this temptation for you. As the Holy Spirit begins to come and bring revelation and bring exposure to dark areas of your life that he wants to heal, there's going to be this temptation in the flesh to hide. That, 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 that's what sin wants. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to hide. Because if you hide, he knows you can't heal. But if you will bring the darkness into the light and let his Holy Spirit, let the light expose every area, every dark corner, then guess what God starts to do? He starts to heal it. That's why we practice confession. There's a time at the end when we have communion. This is a moment where you can go to somebody and you can have a moment of confession. We have a ministry team that meets up here and prays for people. If you, if you don't know anybody here, guess what? You can come over here and you can confess. And guess what? They're not gonna tell anybody. They're just going to pray for you. And it says, when there's confession amongst each other, there's healing that takes place. 
Some of us, if we're fighting physical sickness, if we're fighting physical ailments, sometimes it's because we've hidden things in the dark and we've refused to confess. But if we would bring it out of the dark into the light, in James it says that confession and that prayer, it brings healing. He wants to bring healing into your life today. John 20, verse 19. John 20, verse 19 here. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. This is after the resurrection. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. They receive the Holy Spirit in this moment. Now flip over to Acts, right after the book of John. Acts chapter two, verse one through four. He shows us all throughout Acts these examples of the baptisms. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability or gave them utterance. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism of repentance. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism of Jesus that we'll see. Keep going here. Acts 4, verse 23. The book of Acts is a pattern book. We begin to see patterns that happen. It's teaching us things for the church today. The believers pray for courage. Verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John, they were under arrest, and then now they're freed. They returned to the other believers, and they told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battles. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the same men that were there in Acts 2, just so you know. 
You can be filled again with the Holy Spirit. We can keep seeking more of him. Sometimes we receive one time and we just settle and we stop seeking. We just say, no, no, that one time was good. That one time at at church camp when I was in seventh grade and I gave my life to Jesus, I know I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt the power in the room. I heard the word. It opened up my eyes. It opened up my heart. But, man, I just I kind of like just kind of this nice, safe life. And and I don't really want to listen to the voice of God in my life. I I don't really have time for that because I've got priorities and I've got things I'm doing. I've got plans I've made. But but I'm good. I'm I'm good because I know where I'm going when I die. You're missing out on life abundant while you live. That's what he wants for you. That's what the Holy Spirit wants for you. And each and every one of us, if we would just seek him, if we would seek him out daily, we would encounter him. We could come into his presence every day, every night, every hour. We can be with him in every moment. We could be conscious of his presence as we walk throughout every step of our day, through our job, through our schools, through our relationships, through parenting our kids, through relationship with our wife or our friends, we can be conscious of his presence and live seeking him out daily. But most of us, we just settle for, man, that one time was really good. Or God, I'll see you again next week at church. I'll hear your voice again next week at worship. I'll wait until I get a word from the pastor next week. No, no, he wants to give you a word right now. If you would sit down with him, if you would carve out time, if you would seek him, guess what? Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. He wants to speak into your life. You can be filled again and again. There was a story I was reading recently, and I I never understood it, and I, I received this revelation this week. I never understood Jacob and Esau. If you're not familiar, it's in Genesis. Jacob and Esau, uh, they were brothers. And Esau was the older brother. And if you've never noticed, the older brother is kind of the one that get, gets passed over often throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament. It's typically the younger brother that God raises up, that God anoints, which is you know, a little offensive, me being the oldest child in my family. I'm like, Wish, man. But now I've even seen it come to pass in my own life where God raised up my younger brother and he's been a, a, a light in my life. But in that story, I never understood, why is Jacob rewarded for deceiving Esau? Because that's what Jacob did. Jacob, he dressed up like his brother, and he, he tried to sound like his brother. And, uh, and he did multiple things to trick his brother. In one of the events, what he does is Esau comes in, and he's hungry. He's starving, and uh, Jacob says to him, hey, I got some soup right here. I'll, I'll give you this soup for your birthright. There's a birthright that was given to the oldest child. And Esau, he trades his birthright for a bowl of soup. And I always thought, oh, man, that, that, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of wrong. Like, why, why is Jacob raised up and, and used so mightily and heavily by God in the creation of God's nation? He understood what the birthright actually meant. Esau didn't understand. Esau took the birthright for granted. 
He didn't appreciate what it meant. Jacob, he knew what it meant. He was seeking after the birthright. What was he seeking after? He was seeking after the blessings of God. He was seeking after the giver of all blessings. He was seeking after with everything he had. He was shrewd in how he did it, but he didn't care. He wanted all of God. And Esau, he didn't understand what he had. He traded the birthright for a bowl of soup. And some of us today, we trade our birthright as believers for a bowl of soup. We're hungry right now. We we, want to be fed right now. Our flesh wants something. Our flesh desires something in this world. We see something, we want it, just like Esau. And we trade our birthright as believers to step into his presence, to walk through this world filled with his presence, walking with him, talking with him, listening to his voice, walking in authority. We trade it for a bowl of soup. We're more like Esau than Jacob. Jacob wanted more of his presence. He wanted the blessing. Esau disregarded it. He saw it as worthless. And some of us, that's what we do with the Holy Spirit. This is our birthright as believers. And we've cheapened him to a bowl of soup, and we've said, eh, he's okay. That one time I experienced him at camp, or that one time I heard his voice at church, or wherever it was, that one moment I had with him, that was enough. But he, he kind of wants me to, to live in the spirit, and I kind of want to live in the flesh. And so I, I just kind of want his voice to get a little bit quieter so I can just focus over here on the things of this world, and I won't get convicted because I'm chasing after the world instead of him. Acts 4. Verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled again. Some of you in here, you know you've experienced him, you've been filled, you've received the Holy Spirit, but you need that fresh filling. There's gonna be a a ministry time at the end where you can receive that. Some of you in here, you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe Maybe you're like me, you've given your life to Jesus, you got baptized, you repented one time, you got into the water and you repented for your sins. And he said, I'm going to make Jesus Lord and Savior of my life. But maybe you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If that's something you want, there's going to be a moment here at the end that you can receive that during ministry time. He's a good God. He's a good Father. Look what he says here. Uh, I'm jumping down. Luke uh, 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. If you want the Holy Spirit, if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Just ask, seek, knock. That's what Jacob did. He kept seeking after God. He kept seeking after the blessings, the birthright. He wanted more of God in his life. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask, seek, knock. If you want him, ask, seek, knock. Don't be afraid. Don't be too prideful today to say, no, no, I'm good. I got just enough. I don't need any more. No, there's always more that we can receive if we're willing to ask, 
Seek, knock, keep pursuing, keep chasing after him. Acts 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. You can be a believer and have not had the Holy Spirit come upon you. You you can receive the Holy Spirit, but you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a distinction that is made in Scripture. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. There is a connection between the baptisms and the laying on of hands. That's why in Hebrews, the writer puts them right next to each other, side by side. There's something important there that we see in the pattern all throughout the book of Acts. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a laying on of hands. Acts 9, verse 11. This is after Saul has had his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. 9 verse 11, the Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. The Lord exclaimed, Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias, he went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens when we lay hands and pray. And we believe in faith. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and then he was baptized in the water. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Sometimes it it can happen all at once. It's like here at Revival, when we pray for you, When you're getting baptized here at Revival, we lay hands on you and we pray for the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit. But you're also receiving that baptism of repentance in that moment where you're dying to your old self and you're being raised new out of the water. It's a step of obedience. It's a choice. Some of us were too prideful. Some of us, there's some people in here that you're thinking, I'm too old. I can't let people know that I've, I've missed this my whole life, that I never knew this, that I never understood this. And you're saying, I'm just going to go on and pretend like everything's fine. Don't miss this moment. If you want more of him, he wants to meet you here. If you want more of him, he will meet you here. Draw near to him. Don't let pride stop you from receiving more of his presence today. There's more of him to experience He wants to speak to you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to live with you daily. 
He doesn't want to just be left in the corner until you die and you go to heaven. It's like, hey, oh, now we're friends. No, no, he wants to get to know you right now. And he wants you to get to know him. He wants to walk in relationship with you. Acts 9. Actually, let's jump here. Acts 18. Go a few further. Acts 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. He'd repented. He'd said, I'm a sinner. I want to be baptized. I want to be raised new. He only knew about John's baptism. There are baptisms. It's plural. We need to understand that. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and they explained the way of God even more accurately. In that moment, what I'm believing happened is that they explained also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason that they tell us there There's a reason that Luke tells us there that he only knew about John's baptism and that Priscilla and Aquila took him aside to explain more accurately. That's what we're doing as a church today. This is just a moment for you that God's put it on my heart to explain more accurately what some of you may have missed, only because I know I missed it. I missed it for a long time. In fact, I would tell you, as I look at the life of Apollos, I, I would say, that's me. I, I was doing ministry. I, I was preaching the scriptures well. I, I, was, I was preaching, and I, I, some would say maybe I was eloquent in speech. I don't know. Some days, maybe not so much. But uh, I was doing these things, and I had an enthusiastic spirit. I did ministry like that for 12 years. And with accuracy, I cared so much about the accuracy of how I preached, and I still do today. But I only really knew about John's baptism. I only really knew about the baptism of repentance. I didn't understand the baptism of fire. I didn't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes by fire and by the Holy Spirit. It's not that any one human has power. No, 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 no. When we lay hands and we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the baptizer. We're just, we're just the mode. We're just the medium. He's just using us through our hands, through laying on of hands. But Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Apollos had been thinking about going to Acacia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments and public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. While Apollos was in Corinth, chapter 19, this is all one continuation. Sometimes we see a chapter and we think, oh, okay, this is a whole new thing. No, no, no. This is a continuation for a reason here. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. You can be baptized, you can be a believer, but you cannot, you could have missed the Holy Spirit. You could have missed him completely. 
That was me. I didn't know I could hear from God. I, I, I didn't know I could learn how to listen to his voice. I didn't know I could learn how to walk with him daily and experience the power of his presence in my life. I was like Apollos. I, I was preaching and teaching accurately, but there was no power. In these last couple years, he's been showing me and teaching me, when you walk with him, when you are filled with him, with his presence, when you've been baptized in fire, there is power that comes along with his presence. We're just the delivery boys, the delivery girls. We're just walking in the fullness of the spirit he's given us. And everywhere we walk, guess what? There's healing and there's freedom and there's deliverance that gets unlocked because we carry the power of his presence, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's what he wants for his church. That's the blueprint, to be living and active, to be filled, not to be dried out shells. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. There's baptisms. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, that's what a lot of us have done. We've repented from our sin. But then guess what? We're still, we're still stuck and trapped in our sin. I received that baptism back when I was a kid. But guess what? I went home and I still struggled. I still struggled with porn. I still struggled with lust. I still struggled in relationships. I still struggled in obedience. I still struggled to live out what I was reading in God's word. And it wasn't coming to fruition in my life. But in these last couple years, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I can feel the fire right now. He's right here right now. Some of you, he's filling up right now. He's showing you, I'm here right now. When you receive that, all of a sudden, you begin to listen to his voice, and you begin to walk in fullness and power, and he begins to give you the fruit of the Spirit. And you begin to experience more joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control than you've ever experienced in your life. And all of a sudden, I'm experiencing more freedom and deliverance from the things I couldn't escape even after 12 years of ministry, I still had these moments where it's like, man, I'm struggling. I'm falling back. I can never do what I need to do. I can never live out what his word says. It's because I don't only experience the baptism of repentance. I need the baptism of fire. Some of you, you're here right now. You want that. You're like, I'm dried out. I'm sick of trying this on my own. I know I repented. I know I gave my life to him. But it feels like I'm just dying every day, struggling, and I can't find any other way to get past these blocks. I can't find any other way to fight off anymore. Guess what? You've been doing it on your own. He wants to fill you up today. There is a greater power, his Holy Spirit, his presence, that he wants to fill you with in this moment. If you'll stop resisting, if you'll die to that voice, that voice of pride in your life, if you'll quiet it, and you'll listen to his voice, there's power you can step into in this moment. There's deliverance. There's freedom. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance. Hey, worship team, I'm going to invite you guys up as we get ready to close. Repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, there's a baptism of John. There's a baptism of Jesus. And then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we lay our hands on and we pray, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they spoke in other tongues and they prophesied. 
There were about 12 men in all. Jesus is the baptizer of fire. Matthew 3, verse 11, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. This is John the Baptist. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. That word, baptize, in the Greek, means to wash, dip, or to be fully immersed, to be dyed. To dye something a new color. When you wanted to change the color of a garment, this is the word that was used. You would dip that garment into a vat of dye, and then you'd leave it in the dye long enough for that material to become saturated with the new color. Oof. Some of you, you got dipped, you got baptized, but you, you didn't sit in there long enough. And I'm not talking about the water. You didn't sit in his presence. You just ran out and said, great, I'm good. I'm fine now for eternity. But you missed out on sitting in his presence and being dyed a new color. We'll look different as we walk with him, as we're filled with him, as we're saturated by him. We begin to wear his colors and not the world's colors. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. It dyes us. We become brand new creations. We're saved by the cross. When we choose, when we believe in him, salvation's already won. This baptism of fire, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't mishear me here. I know there's some of you in here that this is all you've ever known, this first baptism, this baptism of repentance. And to hear that there's other baptisms, maybe it's stirring something up in you and there's a little bit of anger or there's a little bit of doubt there's a little bit of skepticism. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to sow doubt and disunity. This second baptism, it isn't a requirement for salvation. Jesus already paid the requirement for salvation. We don't have to do all these things to get saved. Jesus already did it. We're saved. But if you want to walk in God's power, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You, you can receive again. Don't be so prideful to say, oh, I received that when I was 12, I was you know, 15, and I, I received that baptism of the Holy Spirit. I pray in the Spirit. I pray in tongues. That's great. But guess what? The apostles, 
they showed us. You can be filled again and again. Keep seeking him. Ask, seek, knock. Mark 11, verse 24, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. It's yours by faith today. It's yours. The other thing that we see when we see the baptism of fire, when we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit is is we see this language in the Scripture about praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. It follows this baptism of fire. And this has become one of the most divisive tools of the enemy to try to break up churches and get people to disagree on. And I'm telling you, here at Revival, we're going to have unity. Because we're going to speak where the Scriptures speak, and we're going to be silent where they don't speak. But I want to tell you what it says in His Word about this praying in tongues, this prayer language, this praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14. Let love be your highest goal. For us as a church at Revival, that's our highest goal. But you should also desire, seek the special abilities the Spirit gives. Just like Jacob. Don't be an Esau, be a Jacob. Seek, desire, chase after them. Especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit. But it will be mysterious. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. The one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Here on a Sunday morning, we prophesy. And there's moments where you can pray in your spirit language if you have that, if you've received that. You can pray to yourself. You can build yourself up. That's a great thing. But we put prophecy first. We put love above all things. And then prophecy after that. But you need to understand something here. The speaking in tongues, it's not a bad thing. It, it, somebody, some people have tried to say, oh, it's demonic. No, no, no. It's not demonic. It's a gift. Paul says it's a gift. And it strengthens you personally. If you feel weak in your faith, if you feel like you need to get built up, if you feel like you want to get stronger, guess what? One of the ways that we do that is we pray in tongues. We pray in the Spirit. I do it at all times. When I'm mowing the lawn, when I'm doing dishes, I just find myself, I just start praying in the Spirit. And it doesn't make sense, but in my spirit, my spirit is getting stirred up. It's something that we choose to do. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit overcomes us. It says that they spoke, they chose to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. It strengthens, it edifies. What are we doing? We're looking at a blueprint for a building, for building God's church. What do we want? We want a strong church. How do we do that? We strengthen the church. We edify the church. We build it up. That's that word in the Greek, this edifying word, this strengthening. It's tied into building a strong structure. That's what praying in tongues does. As individuals begin to pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit, get baptized in the Spirit, the church as a whole gets stronger. It builds up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. When you start praying in tongues, you may not understand what you're praying. You don't understand the words coming out, but you can be, 
what do, you, what do we do? Ask, seek, knock. There's more to experience. There's more gifts to experience. You can receive the gift of interpretation. And so you can ask the Holy Spirit, as you pray in tongues, Lord, please give me an interpretation. What is it that you want me to pray for? What is it that I'm praying for in my spirit here in this moment? We can pray out of our own mind. We can pray these words. But a lot of times, we don't really know what to pray. But when we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit intercedes for us. And so we don't know what we're praying, but we're getting into alignment with God. We're getting into alignment with His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now interceding for us, and it's getting into, in, us into an alignment with Him. You can pray for the ability to interpret so you begin to know and understand. And guess what? The more you read God's Word, the easier it'll be to interpret what you're praying in the Spirit. Verse 14, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. It sounds like babbling. It sounds like nonsense. You're turning your brain off, the language center of your mind. You're turning it off, and you're letting it flow out of you like a child, like a little toddler, how a toddler flows, and it makes no sense at all. That's what you're doing when you pray in the spirit. You're choosing to just flow. And you can pray for an interpretation from him and he'll begin to show you and reveal things to you that you never understood before. He'll build you up, he'll strengthen you, he'll edify you. Well then what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. That's why we pray, and when we worship and when we sing, we worship and sing in our understanding. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. This is Paul. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. He's thankful for the gift because it know it builds him up. So then when he goes to prophesy, when he goes to speak these five words, guess what? It's building up the entire church because he's been built up through the praying in the spirit. If you want to be able to help others, if you want to be able to minister to others, one of the things you can do is you can get baptized by fire. You can receive the gift of praying in the Spirit. And guess what? You can start to get built up in a way where the words that you speak are going to be His words and not your own. And it's going to build up and edify and free people around you because they're going to hear the Holy Spirit testifying. Who's the Holy Spirit testified to? He testifies to the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what He does. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. This is why I preach on this, because we need to get to be mature. That's what Hebrews 6 is talking about. We missed some of the essentials, some of the basics, the elementary principles, and we can't get mature, we can't grow up until we understand the basics. That's what we're doing in this season. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the gifts that you've given this church. Father, I pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we would not forget him, that we would not put him in a corner, 
that we would not ignore him, but that we would embrace him, that we would know that it was better that you left so he could come, that we would walk in that faith and that fire and that power. Father, I pray for anyone in here today that wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they wouldn't let doubt or pride or, or whatever it is, that lying voice keep them from receiving from you today. I pray that we would be a church that will ask and seek and knock. In this invitation moment, Lord, I, I pray that hearts would be open to receive your Holy Spirit, that we would repent and turn back to you, that you would cleanse the house so that your Holy Spirit can come and dwell here in us. And I pray that the gift of tongues, that the gift of praying in the Spirit would not be something that we're ashamed of or that we hide, but it would be something that we celebrate and that we use as a gift that it was intended, that we would not abuse the gift, but that we would use it as you intended it, that we would be built up, that we'd be fortified, that we'd be edified, that we'd be strengthened, so that we can prophesy, we can speak truth, and we can evangelize, so we can walk out in boldness in our faith and declare who you are and testify to who your son Jesus Christ is and what he's done. I pray that we would be fortified and strengthened in this season through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the laying on of hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.